Good morning. Good morning. Glad you're here. I had mentioned uh, a few sermons ago, uh, a couple months ago, that I was uh, done with Coach Horton stories, and I think I had gone through my entire repertoire. Uh, somebody suggested I just start making them up. Uh, and I said, if I'm going to do that, then I'm going to be winning some state championships and such. Uh, but, uh, and then uh, I remembered one. There's one that kind of, I guess, conveniently left out. Doesn't really paint me in a good light uh, that uh, I think about today. And um, when I think about this journey that we will look at in just a moment of Elijah. It was, a, uh, it was a Saturday morning race. We were in uh, Nashville, or right, right near Nashville, the Percy Warner State Park. I won't forget. Uh, a, lot of different, uh, a lot of different teams from a lot of different places all over the state were there and competing, and, um, and uh, we were ready to go. And so we took off in that race, and, and there's something that takes place in just about every race that I would run. Uh, and for those of you who are new, this was 40, 50 years ago. If you're looking at him and saying, he's not racing, uh, this is a long time ago. Uh, and uh, so Coach Horton, our, my coach, he, uh, he was, uh, well, I don't remember what else to say there. Uh, but uh, so we were racing, we were going, and I remember getting uh, about halfway through uh, just hitting that point that you hit about every race. And that, that point is a point of, uh, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I got it today. I, I, I think I'm just, all the negative starts start coming. And one thing that Coach had taught us was different ways to not think about those thoughts, not engage those thoughts, especially the worst thought that you can have, and that is, I think I'm going to quit. And uh, he, he would tell us over and over again, never entertain that, never let it take root in you. And it did that day. Because I was particular, my legs were particularly heavy, it felt like. I was particularly sluggish, and I just didn't feel like I had it at all. And I was just, I felt like in pain. It had not been uh, this bad before. And that, that thought came into my mind. I could end this now. I could just stop. I could just walk off the course. And, uh, and if I did, I wouldn't have to go through this anymore. Uh, and so, uh, sure enough, I did. I just walked off the course. And... Uh, immediately regretted it but as soon as you do you're out and uh immediately regret like what did i just do why did i just quit and it's a moment i can just remember clear as day because the most disappointing time in my uh my high school cross-country career and so as i was walking i remember seeing uh after the meet uh, and everybody was done seeing coach horton uh, a little bit in the distance as i walked uh, towards him he just kind of turned and walked away broke my heart uh coach horton was not the, the kind who would do that. He was a, a gentle heart, but he was just uh, mad and uh, angry that I had quit anything. I mean, I could have crawled in. I could have done anything uh, but quit, and he would have been right there with me. Actually, he told us that the best race you could possibly run is when, when you hit the finish line, uh, you pass out and throw up. Uh, but he would always start, he would always correct himself. So, no, 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 no. He goes, you should throw up and then pass out because that would be dangerous otherwise. Uh, and say, okay, thanks, Coach. Uh, but uh, so he said that was, but quitting was just not an option. And I chose, I chose that option. And I was uh, disheartened. I later found out that uh, really our whole team was feeling the same thing. 
They are all having heavy legs. They're all uh, feeling like they didn't have it. It probably had to do with our training going in that we just had uh, a bad week of training. Something, whatever it was, it was all of us. We were there together. So what I was feeling was not unique to me. But they didn't quit. They kept going. And sure enough, for the next practice I got there, Coach had changed everything so that he would not even have to use my name. Uh, that I was in the top seven uh, of our team, but instead of uh, uh, calling out, he would usually say, you, 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 and you, this is what y'all are doing today. The you, 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 and you, that would be the B team. This is what y'all are doing today. Now he would say, you, 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 and you, and you, this is what y'all are doing. I was not included. And, uh, and then everybody else, y'all are going to be doing this. He would do that for about a month. And, uh, but I would stay. I decided there was a path back. And Coach was a gracious man, so it was a path back. So I would stay after and do the, the workout of the earlier team as well as the one I would just done each and every day. And little by little, uh, I would find my way back. Uh, Coach wanted me to know. He wanted me to prove that that's where I wanted to be, that I wanted to be there, and I wanted to be committed to that. In a uh, much grander way, really, Elijah uh, went through something uh, similar uh, but maybe not all that similar. But our story today, uh, a little bit of context going into it. We have, uh, during this time, in, our, in just a moment I'll read our scripture and you'll have Elijah uh, and we'll see what takes place with Elijah. But during this time, uh, there is a king of Israel and he is known as the uh, most evil of all the kings of Israel. He was not good. I don't know who makes these lists. I don't know who votes for this. But Ahab won the race of being the most evil king of Israel, the least faithful. He had given over Israel over to pagan gods. He was worshiping pagan gods. In fact, he married Jezebel. How many of you, uh, when you were uh, having your children and you had a little daughter who was on the way and you're searching through the Bible maybe to try to come up with some Bible names, how many of you chose Jezebel? Nobody. We all know. Whether we know her story or not, we know that's bad. Je Jezebel's just bad. And sure enough, she was. She was uh, the, uh, a pagan queen in that uh, Ahab was not supposed to marry, and she followed all of these, go uh, these gods, primarily, primarily Baal, and uh, was trying to get all the people of Israel to follow these pagan gods and to be unfaithful to God himself. And so uh, Jezebel was active in that. In fact, she had killed all these prophets that had uh, tried to convince Ahab or others that the Lord God was the Lord God and none others and to walk away from the others. So Jezebel uh, was not good either. So you had Ahab and Je uh, Jezebel, but then you had Elijah. He was a prophet of God. And a prophet of God uh, does this. That is somebody who is particularly chosen by God to go where God tells them to go, say what God tells them to say, and do what God tells them to do. Go where God calls them to go, say what God tells them to say, and do what God tells them to do. That they are to be the vessel of God's word, God's communication to the people. Normally, it would put them in difficult places. A prophet would normally be one who would go to someone of power that God would call them to, like Ahab, and tell them, you are doing a horrible job as king, that you are not being faithful, you've turned your back to God, you need to turn towards God, you need to repent, or God is going to act, and it's going to tear it all down. 
It was not an easy job, a prophet. But Elijah was good. And he was good. And what makes you a good prophet is that he was faithful. When God told, called him to go, he went. When God called him to speak, he spoke. You know, regardless of the consequences, he would let God take care of that. So he was doing good, and, and sure enough, as Ahab was worshiping Baal, there was a time where uh, Elijah decided to uh, challenge the prophet, challenge Ahab, and he met with Ahab and told Ahab, get all these prophets of Baal, these 450 prophets of Baal, gather them together at the top of Mount Carmel. I will meet you there, and we're going to have a god-off. We're going to have a challenge of the gods. And uh, so sure enough, they're there. I don't think he said god-off, uh, but... Uh, but something to that effect. Uh, we're going to have this big challenge. And so uh, basically when they got there, he told these prophets of Baal, make an altar to Baal. Make an altar to, to Baal and do everything that you do to make this altar to Baal. Put the bull on it. Do everything you need to do. And, uh, but do not set it afire. Uh, then once you've done this, you, I want you to pray to your God that he would uh, set it afire. And that the, that the altar would be, the sacrifice would be made. And they said, fine, good, let's do that. And so they did that and they put it all together. And then they gather around, they start praying, these prophets of Baal, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. They sing their songs, do their things, everything that they do to try to engage their God, nothing takes place at all. And at some point in time, Elijah, it says, even starts mocking them. Like, where's your God now? And uh, in the background, and just challenging them. And sure enough, uh, nothing happens. So then it's Elijah's turn. Elijah sets up the altar with the bull on sets up the sacrifice, everything ready to go. And just to make sure that nobody could accuse him of uh, doing any, putting gasoline or whatever they had, got something that, that set a fire, he would take, he got some people to pour water and drench the entire altar area. And in case that wasn't enough, he had to do it again. And then a third time. So water was just drenched the entire altar area that nothing could happen unless it was God. Then Elijah went before God and prayed that God would glorify himself and would set it afire. Sure enough, it happened. Victorious. Elijah was victorious over all these prophets of Baal. And all the prophets of Baal were taken to the river and they were killed. That this victory, and in Elijah's mind probably, this is it. It was done. It was proven uh, that our God, that his God, the God of Israel, was the God. And was the creator was the Lord, was the one to be worshipped. And all other gods uh, were not. He must have felt at a time of victory. And then we see uh, word get to Jezebel. When word got to Jezebel, she was obviously not happy. And she sent word to Elijah saying that within 24 hours, basically, you will be like my prophets are now dead and for whatever reason this man who was victorious that God had done so much so many miracles in him and was victorious on this Mount Carmel because uh, uh, through Elijah he was scared and he ran and he ran and he ran and he ran and as he was out into the wilderness and he sat there and he was ready to die saying, God, there's none others. Nobody else is going through this. There's nobody else. It's just me. And I'm sitting here and I'm lonely. And, and 
this lady, this woman, this queen is trying to, to take my life. I'm done. It's better that I don't even uh, go any farther. So in the midst of that, God calls him and says, uh, says to him that he is to arise and eat. A simple command. And he does. He arises, he eats. And then a little while later, arise and eat, and he does again. And God tells him, for you need to be strengthened because you have a lot in front of you. There's a lot, there's a journey ahead of you, and I'm not done with you yet. And so then we get to this point. In 1 Kings 19, 9 through 18, hear now the word of the Lord. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, it has been I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces, and the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave, and behold, there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall, shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and Abel Maholah, shall appoint to anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So God has bigger plans for Elijah than just winning a battle on the mount on Mount Carmel, which seems like it would be a climactic event. It seems like it would be the event of his life. But there's more. God cared more about restoring all of Israel, bringing faithfulness to all of his people, glorifying himself in all the world than just one particular event on top of the mountain that proved he was God. God wanted all things to be made right, way more than just one event. Two questions I want us to think about in the midst of all this. One is, how do we hear God's voice? And that's a question that, that I ask oftentimes in my life. How do I hear God's voice? How do I know when it's God's voice? But the second one, even more important, is this. Why do we want to hear God's voice? That we really need to ask ourselves that sometimes. Why do we want to hear God's voice? What are we looking for? 
How do we hear God's voice? When Elijah was in the wilderness, when he had run, when he had given up hope, when he had quit and he thought he was like me on the on running cross country, and I'm sure he thought of me, uh, that uh, as he was uh, alone, felt like he was the only one, the only prophet left, the only one left who had, had been faithful to God. When in fact, a little bit later, we realized there's more than 7,000. But when he thought he was all on his own, he heard God say, arise and eat. And then a little bit later, again, arise and eat. You need to be nourished for all that's ahead of you. And then go and stand on this mount before the Lord, little by little, word by word. Moses, Elijah would obey the little things. So first and foremost, how do we hear God's voice? First, we need to make sure that we're listening to the little things that God says to us. The little commands that God gives us day by day, the small things in life. Oftentimes we want answers. We want career decisions. We want decisions for our kids. We want family decisions. We want financial decisions. We want major life decisions that we know God cares about. But a lot of times we don't care as much for the little things. The way that God gets us where God wants us to be is by guiding us each step of the way. Arise and eat. Take care of yourself. Come to me. Pray. Worship. Meet with friends and discuss the scriptures. Read my word. Know my word. Pray. All of these things. God has given us so many ways, so many means, and John Wesley would refer to them and others would refer to them as means of grace. Means by which God's grace is bestowed upon us, is given to us. The vessels which God has given us, scripture, worship, prayer, the Lord's Supper, fellowship with each other, all these things and many, many more. Ways in which he's called us to arise, to eat, be nourished, be prepared for when my voice comes and calls you to do what you do. Number one way that we hear God's voice is being obedient in the little things. Because if day by day we're living our life the way we want to live our life, just listening to our own voice, going our own direction, doing our own thing, and then one day we stop and say, God, I want to obey you now. You know what? He listens. He will. Even when Elijah got in that, there was a time he was doing his own thing. He was running. He was hiding. He was thinking just about himself. And God doesn't shut us out. God will listen. But it takes a while for us to be back into the place where we can truly hear his word. God is always guiding us back. And then when he got to, when Elijah got to this cave, we see this question. What are you doing here, Elijah? And then a few verses later, after the wind, after the, the rain, after, or I don't know if there was rain, after the rocks, after the earthquake, after all the fire, after all of this and the low whisper, we see the question again. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, God doesn't ask those questions because he doesn't know the answers. When Adam and Eve had, had disobeyed God and he came to them uh, in the garden saying, where are you? It's not that God didn't know. God asked this type of question. What are you doing here? In Scripture, when, we've, when the person he's asking has ventured off the path, has ventured off the path that God had laid out before them, and that's where Elijah was. He had ventured off. 
So God asks him that question, what are you doing here? To focus on the point, to bring out the fact that Elijah was not where he was, should be in his heart and where he, up, where he was uh, and where he was going. Calling him back. God continually calls us back to the path he's called us to be on. He's a God of forgiveness. He's a God of restoration. So first is obey the little things from God. Second is answer the hard questions. What are you doing here? We need to stop. When we hear God ask us that question in our life, when we say, you know what, God, I really want you to guide me on this decision I have to make. Then all of a sudden, we, in our heart, we say, well, you know what, there's that. God's been very clear for a while now that I'm supposed to forgive this person who did wrong to me. Ah, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to listen to that. We hear God's voice when we're ready to hear and answer the hard questions that he asks. When he really challenges us deep in our heart, then our heart becomes more willing to say yes to whatever he would give, put before us. And next, we would wait, want, watch, and listen. Wait, want, watch, and listen. He calls Elijah to wait. And a lot of things take place. As he's waiting, there's a major event. There's uh, winds that tear through the mountains. There's fire. There's earthquakes. All this as it says. And, the, and God's voice was not there. It says, continue to wait. And then came, finally, the sound of a low whisper. That he knew to be God. Go where God tells you to go. And be patient. Be ready to wait for God to answer. He doesn't give us all the answers at one time. Oftentimes it's little by little by little. And when we look back we realize he's been guiding us the whole way. When we look back we realize okay he did answer it. Now I see the answer but we've already gone through it. Wait. Want. We have to want to do what God calls us to do. We have to want to say yes to whatever God's going to tell us, even before he tells us. Oftentimes, we want a menu. We want God to give us an option of a lot of choices. And God, I'll tell you if I'm going to say yes or not once you tell me what my options are. God wants us to have hearts that are ready to go, ready to listen ready to move as soon as we hear from him. Watch. Pay attention. I often say if you wonder if God has spoken and you want to do what God has called you to do, chances are he has not yet spoken. A lot of times we look, there were times when I've made decisions, I remember making a decision to, to where I was going to go to college, and I can remember uh, sitting there and flipping a coin, and, and I can remember trying to do all these things. God blessed this coin and flip it, and, and did, I didn't do that, and uh, all these different things, looking for answers everywhere. If, any, if all of a sudden the right song came on the radio, I'm listening to it. What is it? That? In fact, I can remember putting a cassette tape in uh, the car saying, all right, God, speak to me through this. It was an instrumental. Uh, it was George Winston. Uh, I did later find out after I had made a decision to go to Millsaps uh, that God did use that as an affirmation because I was telling a friend that story. And he said, you know, George Winston went to Millsaps. I was like, wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like a little joke God played. Uh, watch, pay attention. 
for God and listen. Let God speak how God wants to speak. Listen for his voice. Learn how he sounds. And finally, obey. When we obey and we take the next step, we're on the path. When we take the next step and the next step, that's what we need to do when God has called us is to obey. Why do we want to hear God's voice? That's the question. Why do we want to hear God's voice? Is it just so that we have a better job or whatever may be next? Is it just so that we have the right answer? Just so that our families does better? Not bad things at all. And things that we need to go to God with. Don't hear me minimizing any of these things that we go to God with and we seek answers for. That's very important to take everything to God. But we also need to broaden our scope. Elijah thought victory was won and was done, it seems, when he had the victory at Mount Carmel. And we learn at the very end what victory looks like to God. A restored Israel. The people of God worshiping him. The, the king following him. The prophet prophesying at his word and not their own words. All things restored. God's vision for us is far greater than the vision we have for ourselves. Why do we want to hear God's voice? We need to allow God to change within us and move within us. So we want to hear God's voice so that God will be glorified through us. And this world will be changed. And his kingdom will come. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak. You speak through scripture. You speak through us and to us. Help us to be obedient. Help us to listen and want to be obedient. Help us to glorify you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen.